0: So we've been in a a series called Deadly, and we've been looking at what has been historically known as the seven deadly sins, right? And why why do a series on the seven deadly sins? Well, the the seven deadly sins are kind of a, a summary of all other sins. All other sins sort of find their tentacles from these seven deadly sins, so to speak. And so the first week we just did an overview of sin. Then we talked about pride, we talked about anger, and today we're going to talk about lust. Well, let's see what Jesus has to say on this subject. In Matthew 5, verse 27 and 28, Jesus says, You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. you got to know the background a little bit of what Jesus was saying. Six times in the Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is contrasting his command to something out of the Old Testament or one of the commandments. He's upping the, he's upping the ante, so to speak. He's raising the bar. There were people who thought that if they didn't act, do the the act of adultery, but they had lust in their heart, lust in their eyes, that they were okay, as long as you didn't physically act it out. And Jesus always gets after our hearts. He always gets to the heart of the matter. And he wants to point out that when you're lusting, it's not just the physical act, it's what's coming out of your heart. And that's why it's a deadly sin. So what is lust? Lust. There's a definition for you right out of dictionary.com. Lust is intense sexual desire or appetite, uncontrolled or illicit sexual desire or appetite, a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. And then I added to it a passion and desire for something that is not yours and or is forbidden. So lust is misplaced passion. It's misplaced passion. And there's no denying that God created us as sexual beings. We were created as sexual beings. And to have desire and all of that is normal. It's the most normal thing. I remember teaching my kids growing up, like when you're attracted to someone, that is the most normal thing to, to, to feel those feelings. And but God gives parameters around natural desires. God gives us guidelines. And so we have to remember that, you know, where, where do I get my values from? Where am I going to get my understanding of sexuality from? Where am I going to get my understanding for my values? And what is the authority that those values and understanding based on? Is it pop culture? Is it what somebody said or think? Are we going to get it from Jesus who who created us as sexual beings in the first place? Here's what I always say. If something's confusing, maybe it's confusing in society, what does Jesus say about it? Like if a guy can predict his death and three days later rise from the grave, I'm going to go with what he has to say. His opinion is what matters most. His what he has to say matters most. We are his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're his disciple. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we need you need to know what he has to say about what it means to follow him. And and do you have the intention of doing what he says to do? But as his disciple, he's the teacher. So here's what Jesus, how does Jesus define God's plan for sex? And sexual fulfillment. Very important. He says this. Haven't you read in the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning. God made them male and female. And he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother. And is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart. What God has joined together. So from the beginning of creation, God creating Adam and Eve. God's plan in in his his plan for sex and sexual fulfillment is one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. You can see it here. I call it the circle of holy sex. One man, one woman in a committed married relationship. That's God's plan. And that's his design. Those are his guardrails. And I get that this is countercultural, right? This is countercultural in the world that we live in. But Jesus usually is countercultural, right? He, he, he is. He doesn't, he didn't care about being relevant. He wants to be our teacher and our Lord and to bring life to us. He wants to, us to have his life in us lived out, the best life that we possibly can. So it's so important as we talk about this this morning, that what does Jesus say about any given subject? What does he have to say about it? And I think it's important this morning to know, I think, that as the church, the church has always been known what it's, what it's anti, what the church is against. We need to be very uh, more loud about what we're for, not what we're against. That's very, very important. Because the cultural war in our society is pretty lost, right? But Jesus cares about what's going on inside the church, obviously to influence outside the church, but what's going on inside the church? We should not expect people who don't follow Jesus to act like people who follow Jesus, right? That's important that we establish that. So back to this circle of holy sex, a guy that I really respect named Tim Keller. He he said that God put guardrails around sex because sex is the most delightful and most dangerous of all human capacities. It has the ability to delight, but be very dangerous and damaging if we don't follow his way. If we don't do do things his way, uh, obey what he has to say. It's so important. Here's what uh, C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said, The inventor of the human being was telling us that it's two halves. Remember, he's British, so he's writing in the 1950s or or even before that, and he's British. So the, the wording's a little strange, but I think you'll get what he has to say here. The inventor of the human being was telling us that it's two halves, the male and the female, were made to be combined together in pairs, not simply on the sexual level, but totally combined. The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, sexual, from all the other kinds of union which are intended to go along with it and make up the total union of marriage. The Christian attitude does not mean that there is anything wrong with sexual pleasure any more than it means about the pleasure of eating. It means that you must not isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasures of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and spitting them out again. Interesting, huh? So we we gotta you gotta keep God's plan for sex within his and sexual desire within His plan. You ever see a maybe you've been part of this or or seen videos of people that are you know somebody yells fire and Everybody goes running out of the building, or you hear a gunshot, and, and people flee. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says about this. He says, flee sexual immorality. Flee it. Run from it like a house is on fire. Run from it like you're running from a bear, because it's destructive. The interesting part, every time you read in the English, an English Bible and you see the phrase sexual immorality, It's the Greek word pornea, pornea. And I want to say this before I continue. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me. I'm aware every day of of how much of a sinner I am and, and the capacity that I have to sin. But thank God Jesus has given us life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, sexual sins too. There's something about sexual sin that has a, a, a greater impact or consequence in this life, what it has on our minds and what it has on our hearts. But I have to say that whatever you're going through or whatever you're, you're feeling at the moment right now, will you go back? Yeah, thank you. Um, there's, there's a cross where Jesus died for your sin and he died for mine. So when he says flee sexual immorality, there's basically in the New Testament, there's four illegitimate ways to get the legitimate need of sexual desire fulfilled. There's four of them listed in the New Testament. The first one is fornication. These aren't on your notes, but the word fornication. Let's give a definition. That means having sex before you're married. Adultery is having sex with someone you're not married to. Uh, having sex with someone other than your spouse, sorry, got that one wrong here i 'm um, a little discombobulated this morning. Let me tell you <laughs> okay but and then then the Bible does list homosexual sex as a sin, and notice that I said homosexual sex in our society. The church has picked on that on, on homosexuality as one thing to camp around and didn 't and doesn 't sometimes care about the other types of sexual immorality that's listed in the Bible. And so it's important that we understand that. You know people that have same-sex attraction. And God doesn't tell us how to feel. We're not condemned for our feelings. God says don't act out on it. Don't act out on what you feel. That goes for heterosexual desires or homosexual desires. Both, God says, come back to one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage very important. And then fourthly, pornography. That's where we get that word pornea. And pornography, if you take the, the Greek pornea in, in or graphy orography, that is it literally means viewing pornography viewing sexual immorality. Viewing sexual immorality is what porn does. Porn is such a destructive thing. It is so destructive. Let me give you some stats on pornography in our culture and in the church even. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. 40 million. There are around 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. More than combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 47% of families in the U.S. say that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography increases the marital infidelity rate by 300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in porn. 70% of youth pastors say that porn is a constant issue that they deal with in their students. 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. 50% of pastors as well. 87% of Christian women admit they have watched porn. Fifty-five percent of married men say they watch porn once a month. Twenty-five percent of married women say that they watch at least once a month. Porn's not new. It's been around from the beginning of time. They used to draw things on, you know, cave walls and stuff. And even the church at Corinth that Paul's telling to flee sexual immorality was a, such a sexually out of control place that they would go to the temple of Aphrodite and they would, uh, there would be temple prostitutes and they would watch people have sex with temple prostitutes. I mean, this isn't new. But I'm one of the, you know, maybe half the people in this room that the Internet didn't show up until my 20s. So a lot of you, you've known the Internet all of your life. Some of us, we didn't know the Internet. Some of you still don't know how to use the internet, but that's a whole other story. Um, I won't name any names, but you know, when it comes to 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 that, the having it at in your device so easy. Like even years ago, before the internet, if a guy wanted to view pornography, he'd had to shame shamefully walk into a 7-Eleven or go rent a VHS tape. Do you know what a VHS tape is? It's I'll tell you what an eight-track player is too, but Put a ski mask on and kind of hide from the shame. But now anybody can, you know, you got kids that can look at pornography. There's no limits on these things. And the interesting part about, the sad part about pornography is that it's not only immoral in that it's not part of God's design and plan for sexual fulfillment. It is very bad for your health. I uh, watched a couple TED Talks this week, and these two guys, they weren't Christian. It wasn't theology. It wasn't any of that. They were just talking about the effect that porn has on the human brain, and when it's constantly looked at, it changes your thinking. It changes, uh, you you know, your your body. It's just unhealthy. There was a documentary called Addicted to Porn that I watched, and they talked about how it ruined marriages and, and... you know, and the health part that comes to that. So there's something in our brains that we're wired that way that God said, this is the way I want you to find fulfillment, not anywhere outside of that. So what's the problem then with lust, if I haven't covered that yet? 2 Samuel 13. There's a, a story in there about a, a guy named Amnon, and he was one of David's sons. And Amnon, uh, he loved Absalom's sister named Tamar. And she was pretty, and he just had this intense desire to be with her. But he, circumstances never found its way there. And so he kind of came up with this plan, Amnon did, that he was going to fake like he was sick. And he would lay in his bed. And so he did that, and David came, and he said, what can I do for you? And he said, I want Tamar to come and, and make me a meal in my presence. Have her prepare it so that I can watch her, so I can watch her prepare the meal. And so she does it. And he comes on to her, and she says no, and he did the most vile thing, and he rapes her. And the, and the scriptures say that after he raped her, what he thought was love turned to hatred. He hated her after he had, had used her for his own satisfaction out of this intense desire. He rapes her, and then he hates her. So he didn't have love. He had lust. And that lust caused him to do something horrible. So, what is the problem with lust? It distorts reality. It distorts reality. When you're viewing something like that, it's not reality, that's a vile depiction of what God's plan is for us as his children. The other problem with porn and lust is that it dishonors and dehumanizes others. It dehumanizes. It makes us like animals. It makes the people like animals. It disappoints because it never satisfies. Lust never fully satisfies. It's never satisfied. It, porn and lust going together is a drug. They've, they've proven that that. Porn addiction is as is a strong addiction as, as getting hooked on a substance. But it gets in our brain and we you, people need to get broken from the addiction of it. Here's the deal. Sin is a liar. It's always a liar. It always promises happiness and satisfaction, but it never delivers. Never delivers. It, it only disappoints. Jesus Christ promises life and hope and health when we follow him as Lord. He delivers. He delivers. We need to be broke free from that. So how do we, how do, we do that? Because I think a lot of us probably in this room, I bet, are saying, I agree. It's not good. Lust is not good. How do I get help to break free from it? How can I be, 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 be free? How do I stop? Porn. How do I stop lusting? When I was in ninth grade, I had a, a friend named Brad Crawford. And Brad, if you're listening, then sorry, man, but I, this is—I haven't seen him since ninth grade. But um, I said to give a shout out to him in case he was. But um, I had it, it became a Christian when I was in ninth grade. Now I did not live. I didn't become a what I would call a a real Christian or a disciple of Jesus till I was 25. But I heard the gospel. And I wanted to do what was right. I kind of became religious more than I did. I don't think I was born again until I was 25. But when I was in ninth grade, I shared the gospel with Brad. And he said, yeah, you know, I want to go to heaven. We actually led one of our teachers to Jesus at Clark Central High School in Athens, Georgia. And uh, we were at his house, and we were talking about this as um, hormonal 14-year-old boys that like girls and we want to follow Jesus are we gonna act out on on impulses or what do we do you know and we were we were like 14 years old like having a real discipleship talk with each other and I said I know what we'll do let's open the Bible and whatever verse we land on God's going to give us guidance this true story so I went don't I do not recommend playing Bible roulette to anybody you might land on a Judas hung himself or something. You don't, you don't want to do that. But I went, and I landed on 1 Corinthians 7 that says, if you can't withstand your passion, get married. I'm 14. This isn't Little House on the Prairie Day where I can mow the back 40 and raise crops or whatever. It wasn't, wasn't going to work like that. We needed something more than get married. Now, that's good advice. If you're in a position to get married and you can uh, actually afford to not live in your parents' basement or something like that, you actually can take care of one another. But it's, it's, you need, we need something more than that in our life. I needed that. It's Overcoming lust in your life is not going to happen by you trying harder. Because the harder you try, the more difficult it becomes how you overcome lust is by surrendering your feelings to the Lord. Don't try to stop your feelings when we, because feelings are strong. I mean, People pray, God, make these feelings go away, make it go away, make it go away. That doesn't always work. God wants you to invite him in to your life and surrender. And you follow Jesus and you watch what happens. Do what he says to do no matter what. He will never lead you astray. Here's what I want you to remember from here out, the rest of the message. Here's how you overcome lust. Kill lust with love. We kill lust with love. Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, he says, somebody asked him, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he answered, he said, the most important one says, people of Israel, you only have one Lord and God. You must love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. strength. The second most important commandment says, love others as much as you love yourself. No other commandment is more important than these. If you have your notes, I want you to do something. Take your pen, and I want you to go to where it says, you must love him, circle, love him. Go down to where it says love others and circle that on your notes. And then just to the right where it says love yourself, circle that. The first thing, how we kill lust with love is this. Love God by trusting and obey His design, by obeying His design and plan for sex and sexual fulfillment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is, God, you're the creator. I'm not. You made me. You know what's best for my life. And to walk in in awe and reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Guys, we need wisdom in the area of sex and sexuality. It does damage to so many people. We need his wisdom. I have to believe that God knows what's best. I have to believe that he wants what's best. That he's not one of any possible, just one of many possible choices on handling the issue of sex and sexual fulfillment that he has the final say and that I believe him. Made me think of those AT&T commercials that are out recently where, you know, like somebody's in the uh, surgery room and the doctor walks in. Are you the doctor? I'm kind of the doctor, you know. Are you a good doctor? I'm okay. The the one commercial where the guy's sitting in the tattoo parlor and the kid's getting his, his arm tattooed and... Uh, he, he tells the kid, is this your first tattoo? And he goes, uh, yeah. And he goes, relax. It's going to look okay. <laughs> and then the guy goes, okay. And he goes, well, uh, you know, he goes, aren't you the best tattoo artist in, in the city? I'm one of the tattoo artists in the city. Then he then he says, uh, he starts just tattooing his forearm, and he didn't draw it out first. He goes, aren't you going to draw it first? Stay in your lane, bro. I think that's funny. Uh, I just, I practiced that all week. Um, Stay in your lane, bro. Some of you are trying to tell me, stay in your lane, bro. Yeah. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandment. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments boils down to who knows best. What is his design? Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Stay away from pornea is the word there. Stay away from anything outside of God's holy circle of sex. One man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. Then each of you will Control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. We have to always ask ourselves, do I know what's best for me or does God know what's best for me? If you're wondering today, is this really, is, is, does God really know what, what's best for my life or not? That's That temptation is as old as the Garden of Eden. Did God say remember? And she said, "Yeah, he did say." And then, but then they caved. I remember years ago doing premarital counsel for a couple. Many, many years ago, they were a young couple, and the uh, fiance he was a, a pretty new Christian. Just and he, uh, we were talking about things that you do in pastoral counseling. You, you know, you talk about money, you talk about communication, God's plan for sex. And as we talked through that, he he called a time out. He goes. Um I didn't know that sex before marriage was wrong. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. He said, honey, we're not doing that until our wedding night anymore. Right in front of me. I'm like, whoa. Like, There's no more joy to watch someone take God at his word and apply it to their life, especially in temptation such as sexual sin, se- sexual issues. Second thing, how we kill lust with love is love people by seeing them as brothers and sisters and image bearers of God. If you look at pornography, you're not looking at the person on the the device or the the video or whatever as a brother or a sister or an image bearer of God. Because pornography, broken people, it's broken people who knows what happened to them. But that's somebody's daughter that you're lusting over. But ultimately, it's God's person that is in created in the image of God. Years years ago, I went to a baseball game. Go figure. I was at a baseball game and uh, with a buddy, and this young lady sat down next to us with her mom and. She was very attractive, and she was dressed very, very revealing. Okay, and baseball is a long game; it's nine innings. I'm like, am I just gonna have to, you know, this right here to watch? Oh, did he get a hit? You know, I mean, it was, I was just being real with you guys. Like, come on. And I remember, you know, as we she she was actually engaged us in conversation. And it came up in conversation. I was a youth pastor that she knew some one of my students in in had former youth students, and so as we were talking to her, all of a sudden, I started seeing her brokenness, and I had this compassion come over me like this is like, does she have a good relationship with her dad does Where is her dad in her life and and uh, you know is she dressed like this because that 's how she finds herself worth and People oogling her or whatever, you know. I, I don't know. But in that moment, I, I instead of seeing her as a potential object of lust, I saw an image bearer of God. I saw a sister. I saw someone's daughter. And I thought to myself, is this what Jesus felt like all the time? Like when Mary Magdalene came to him or prostitutes, he didn't see them as potential objects of lust. He saw them As people who were broken and needed his life imparted to them. That was a cool, life-changing moment for me. See people as brothers and sisters. People that is not your spouse. They're your brothers and sisters. If you're tempted to have sex before you're married, don't take something that's not yours. In other words, don't open the wedding gift of God until after the vows. Like, who would open their, their wedding gift before their vows? I don't think people really do that unless, I guess it could happen, but you know what I'm saying. Most of the time, it's after you made your covenant. Same goes with God's gift of sex in marriage. It says in First Thessalonians, it continues, Paul says, And, and in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And check this out. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So if somebody says, that sex between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage, that something outside of that is okay, they're not rejecting you. It's what God says. So today I say this to you. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ and this is convicting you and you're going, this is me, repent today. Repent. Stop. Make a commitment to do life God's way and to find sexual fulfillment, not, not outside of his plan and design. And if you're not sure about Jesus, can I just challenge you, if, if you don't know if you're a believer, to put his word to practice. Watch what he'll do for you. Make changes in your life where you need to make changes. Paul told Timothy, he said, treat younger men as brothers Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And then Jesus said in Luke 6.31, treat others as you want them to treat you. That's how you kill lust with love. I wouldn't want my spouse to look at somebody else in lust. I wouldn't want someone to look at my daughters in lust. I actually caught a dude checking out my daughter one time. Ooh, you talk about a bad feeling that comes over dad. Papa Bear, oh no, you didn't. Just check out my daughter, okay? And I would say this too, when it comes to the issue of modesty, help kill lust with love. Now, modesty is a funny subject in the church, and I'm, you know, sometimes this is a two-way street. Um, just because somebody's pretty or dresses classy doesn't mean they're immodest. Let's don't do that. But I would say I think this is majorly a, a, you know, a, a ladies issue to deal with is just whatever you're wearing don't tempt somebody else to have desire i mean that's that's probably the best rule of thumb don't take my word for it i'm a dude 51 years old ask your mom ask a, a sister in christ ask somebody else hey is this re- too revealing or not i think that's a good a good uh, rule of thumb there all right the third way we kill lust with love Love yourself by magnifying the consequences of love and sexual sin. Magnify the consequences of sexual sin. There are broken relationships, broken families, broken marriages, broken hearts comes from this. Paul in Galatians 6, verse 7, he says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow carrots, you're going to reap carrots. You sow potatoes, you're going to get potatoes. Paul in this says, If you sow to your flesh, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life and the fruits of the Spirit. Believe in your your heart that God's instruction and warnings about sexual outside of his design and the guardrails that he's put in there, those warnings are there to protect us. God's a good father. He's a perfect parent. And which parent in here has never told your kid, don't put your finger in the light socket, don't play in the street, don't, you know, don't play with matches, right? You're doing that because you care about your kid. How much more does God? And then I would say this, what kind of future do you want? Magnify the consequences of sin. What kind of future do you want for your marriage? What kind of future, if you're not married, what kind of marriage do you want one day? You're preparing for that. And so if you don't see it God's way, then you're, 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 you're uh, messing up your future marriage. If you're married, maintain your marriage. If you're married in this room, maintain your marriage. Guess what? If you're married, enjoy what is not forbidden. Delight in your spouse, the Scriptures teach. Delight. And that's, this could be a seminar, right? There's great books I could recommend on this area for all of us. But talk about it. You know, you made a covenant before God to get that desire and that need met between the two of you and the two of you only. Work it out. Practice. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> Get better at it. (laughs) We talking about practice. Just kidding. Sorry, that was not in the notes. But again, if you're not married, prepare yourself. Listen, if you're not married, don't let there be any images or experiences to compare your spouse to one day. I was promiscuous before I became a Christian. I hate that, that that's in my mind. You don't have to do that. If you're you're not married, you get an opportunity to have no images and no experiences to compare with. Then I would say this. Monitor your media. Monitor your devices. It is out there waiting to pounce on us in every corner. The porn industry on the Internet is Bigger, more used than Facebook, Twitter, all the social media things you could think of. So you got to monitor your media. Um, I want to give you something today for free. How about that? SaferNet is a company that helps us people to have the safest Internet interaction that we possibly can for us and for our kids. So if you go to that web, the backslash SaferNet, you can download a free porn blocker, and it helps you for yourself and your own accountability. It helps the people in your family be accountable on what, how and what they can go to through their browser. And you know what? You can get around anything if you want to, right? But let's don't. Let's make a commitment today that we're going to guard our eyes. We're going to guard our mind, and we're going to allow God to give us his life through us. I'm going to conclude with this. In this room, right now, we have people who are guilty of lust, porn, all the above. Okay, we're guilty. The gospel is amazing. Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life and to die a brutal death to atone and forgive us of our sins. The very thing you feel guilty about right now. That's the gospel. You don't earn it. You don't go get better and then he'll accept you. He says, come to me today. There's a story in the book of John where there was a woman who was caught in adultery. The religious leaders brought her to Jesus. And they were trying to see how he would respond to a woman caught in adultery. Because in the Old Testament, if you were caught in adultery, they would throw rocks at you until you died. And interestingly, they only brought the woman, which is probably a whole sermon in itself. But they brought her to Jesus and they said, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. What what should we do? It says that Jesus got down on one knee and he, he began to like draw in the dirt. And he said, Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone to all the religious leaders around. It says that one by one they began to to leave Jesus' presence. And he stood up And he got up and he said, woman, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And she said, they've all left. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't condemn. This message today isn't to condemn. It's to liberate you. It's to liberate you and to walk in the freedom and the, the, the awesome things that God has given us that aren't forbidden. Enjoy the things that aren't forbidden. They're gifts from God. But Jesus doesn't condemn. He says, come to me. Give me your sin. Give me your life. Let me lead your life in every area and in this area. Let him liberate you and let's go and sin no more. If you're not accountable to somebody in a friendship a home group, a core group, have somebody that you can talk to you need to be. We are here as a church will be glad to, to listen, talk, help anybody that needs help. There's plenty of amazing people. And you know what? None of us have it perfect down. We all got the same struggle. It's a matter of are we applying what God wants for us. Will you stand with me? Lord thank you for your amazing grace we praise you we receive it today Lord thank you for the power to say no to sin help us God we repent this morning of lust and pursuing desires outside of your guardrails Lord teach us help us Help us to be there for each other. And help us to kill lust with love. In Jesus' name, amen.